0: Well, good morning, North Point. You guys doing okay today? We're good? What a, what a strange transition. We're moving from a time where we are just excited. People come to Christ and do that in a public way and share that with us as a church family. And then we're going to move to a few minutes of what I hope is not bummersville. But we are tackling a question this morning that, that um, that's hard. It's just hard. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? And if we were to fill that question out, we might say, why does God allow bad stuff to happen to good people? How, how do you start a talk like that? Where do you, where do you, where do you jump into that, uh, that, that challenging, difficult, and at, at times heart-wrenching question? You know, we, get, we got this question um, on those cards a few weeks ago. We gave opportunity for people to fill out some of these cards. This is a question that one of you wrote. And, and uh, we don't, I don't know who this is. Their name is not on here. Matter of fact, if they're here this morning, and, and odds are that they are, I, mean, I would love it to talk to you afterwards. I'd like to hear more of this story. But, but this is what they wrote. I thought maybe this is a good way just to start this morning. And, and the, technically they say, how do I respond to a co-worker's question? And this is the question. I can't accept a God who allowed my son, who was a two-year-old, to die by m- murder or neglect at the hands of my ex-husband which resulted in no conviction by the courts. Why does he, God, not stop such things? He must be impotent, and therefore not all-powerful. That's no kind of God that I want to follow. How would you answer that question? This is a a real question. This isn't some kind of like a a mental exercise. This is a real question from somebody who's been really, really hurt, who experienced a really, really Wrong thing. How do we answer questions like that? I mean, maybe maybe you've asked that question, you know. And, and in the next few seconds here, I'm trying to figure out how do I get us on the same page so that we can have this 30-minute conversation together about the question: Why does God allow bad stuff to happen to good people? And I thought maybe I could tell a bunch of stories of uh, uh, bad things that have happened in my life. And I thought that's kind of ridiculous because. Because you could tell me stories that would be way more tragic than the things that I've ever experienced. My guess. And so maybe if just by way of confession, if I can try and get us thinking in the same place this morning, coming away from all the things that are going on in our lives and the lists that we're thinking about, what we have to do when we go home, the grocery shopping and the lawn chores and and the games and all the stuff that's going to happen for the next few minutes, maybe I can just confess something to you this morning by way of trying to get us on the same page which is I personally have asked this question many, many, many times. You know, I remember we were a couple of years out of Bible school and uh, a couple of years married, two years, two and a half years married, and uh, we were a um, doctor's appointment, and the doctor said, hey, uh, Carters, wrap your head around this. You're never going to get pregnant. You're never going to have a kid. And in the meantime, we had um, a friend who uh, had impregnated uh, three girls uh, on accident, and, uh, and we're asking the question, why? How, how is that fair? What in the world are you doing, God? A couple of years after that, I'm in my full first time uh, f- full time ministry job, and at a church. And we're, and we're dirt poor. Do you guys remember that when you're first married? You just maybe some of you guys are still feeling like you're dirt poor, but when you, especially when you're married. You're first married, you're just dirt poor. You have nothing. Like you're counting, you know, changing the couch kitchens, and you're like, yeah, craft macaroni and cheese tonight. You know that? Yeah, that was. We were there and 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 we're serving in this church and and, uh, and and in this church there was a number of wealthy people who were just continuing to get more and more wealthy and because I was behind the scenes as a pastor, I knew that they were incredibly dishonest in the way they were doing that. So I'm asking the question, God, why? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. You know, in two thousand seven I remember uh, being in my kitchen on the tile floor that I had laid on my knees, and I'm not a very physical guy, so I don't, like, do a lot of physical things like get on my knees very often. It's not how I'm wired. And, but I'm literally on my knees, and I'm sobbing. I, I'm not really an emotional guy, so I don't really cry much, and I'm sobbing. And have you ever sobbed so hard, like you can't breathe? you ever been in? Okay, so I'm sobbing. I can't breathe. I'm on the kitchen floor because my youngest child just got a, 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 a lifelong medical diagnosis there was no cure for. And I was like, God, she's six. Nothing to deserve that. God, why do you let bad stuff happen to good people? And it was some years after that, about 2010, and uh, my oldest child, we watched her scoliosis, scoliosis, curvature of the spine. We watched it get worse and worse and worse, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, this is the only option right now is for your 13-year-old to wear this incredibly attractive, fashion-forward device that's going to try and wrench her spine back into shape. I thought, God, she's 13. What in the world? Why do you let bad stuff happen to good people? And then it was a year and a half after that of wearing that stupid thing, they said, hey, there's no option. You're going to have to go into surgery. We're going to cut your daughter open from tip to to tail and and put titanium rods in there to make that spine do what it's supposed to do. And so we got to go in with our child and be part of that surgery. And I thought, God, why? Why do you let bad stuff happen to good people? Lived through a number of cancer scares with my wife, and, and, and I could go on and on, but the only reason I share any of that this morning is to say that, that I have asked this question many times. If you are here this morning and you have asked that question, like, I'm with you. Are you guys, are you guys with me? Have you asked this question? So we're, we're together on this. See, my life has not been some kind of easy-peasy unicorns, uh, you know, farting out rainbows kind of situation. And my guess is that your life hasn't been that either. And so if we are on the same page with having asked the question a few times, God, why do you let bad stuff happen to good people? That's what we want to unpack in the next few minutes. So I've heard a couple of reasons of why this is. These are some of the reasons that float around sometimes of why bad stuff happens to good people. Sometimes we hear that God can stop it, but he chooses not to. God can, can stop these bad things, but he simply chooses not to. He's able, uh, he could do it in a heartbeat, but he's just um, uh, unwilling. And if you're like me, you're just thinking, well, the logical conclusion to that then is that God is mean and cruel. If God could stop it but doesn't, doesn't, I mean, logically in my head, I'm going, well, it must mean that he's mean. So I've heard that answer before and I'm just not satisfied. And some people then say, well, God wants to stop it, but, but he can't. God wants to. He's kind and gracious and he's sitting in heaven and he's, I want to stop that stuff, but he's just not able. <laughs> Logically, then, we're left with the conclusion that, that, that he's weak. Just weak. He's not godlike. That's kind of where, where the question on this card lands. The kind of God I want to follow if he's weak and not godlike? Sometimes we hear the answer, maybe this is the most popular one. That, that we hear most often, especially in churches, is that uh, God uh, uses or allows or gives, there's some kind of debate over which word to put in there, but God uses, allows, gives uh, these these bad things um, because he has a purpose in those. God allows or gives these bad things because he has a purpose that he wants to accomplish. And, and I'm, just, I'm just being really, really forthright with you, so I'm going to get myself in trouble, but if that's always the answer, and I, I'm kind of like, I'm out. I don't, I'm good. God, leave me where I'm at. Like, let me be. I'll just stay where I'm at. I'm not looking for this stuff. Uh, if it's that God gives these bad things because he has this purpose he wants to accomplish, uh, 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 can I pass? Can I? Sometimes I'm there. And, and, and sometimes we say that there's a purpose, and, and, and I just got to be honest of those f- four of the five things that I shared already. I, I, I see and saw and continue to not see any purpose in those things. Did God have a purpose? Maybe, but I don't see it. And so we're left with these answers that sometimes are not soul-satisfying to me. I'm just being honest here. And I walk away from that go, man, I don't, I don't know. Well, we want to start where, where the scriptures start. We've got we to gotta come to an accurate understanding of who God is. And, and you don't have to agree with it, but, but we have to at least acknowledge this is how the Bible describes God on those three things. One thing is that the Bible, the scripture is clear that God is not cruel. God is described as a lot of things in the Bible, uh, uh, gracious and merciful and kind and loving. And he's also described as just and righteous and holy. But he is never described as cruel or mean. It's kind of interesting because um, in Islam, the, the way they describe Allah is that he is uh, cruel and mean. Matter of fact, they use the word capricious, which means he kind of does whatever he feels like doing in the moment, which very often comes across as mean and cruel. And it's just a reality that you have to live under if you were Islamic or Muslim. But, but that is not the way the Bible describes God. Are you with me? The Bible is clear that God is not mean or cruel. The Bible is clear, and by the way, so I I made sure that I mentioned this in your sermon, uh, in your welcome folder, there's some sermon notes there that have a bunch of verses listed under this. I don't have time to go through all these verses this morning. We just threw down a smattering of them, and I'd, I'd, I'd highly encourage you when you go home, look those up. You don't have to take my word for it. Look those up and look at how the Bible describes God. Those are there for you, so we don't even have to dig into them. So the second thing, sometimes we hear this, God is sovereign. And all-powerful. The Bible is clear and describes God as sovereign and all-powerful. God is in control. The creator of the universe makes and controls and holds together all things. Nothing is, is, is outside of his ability or his control. So Sometimes, and I don't know if this just happens in like Bible school or weird places, but sometimes this question is posed like, uh, well, if God is all-powerful, can he create a rock so big that even he can't lift? And of course, the answer is, well, yes, because he obviously can create a brain so dense that could think up a question that's not important. <laughs> God is all-powerful and sovereign. That's the way the Bible describes it. You don't have to agree with that, but I just got to say, that's the way the Bible describes God as being powerful and sovereign and in control. And, and the third thing the Bible is clear about, that there is, there is often a purpose, some would say always a purpose, to the things that go on. To so this bad stuff that happens to good people. We, we recognize verses like Romans 8 where it says, God works all things together for good to those who love him. But sometimes it seems like there is no purpose. And we have to butt up against the reality that sometimes it seems like, maybe we would say often it seems like there is no purpose sometimes, if I'm honest, I say, God, maybe I don't want that purpose because it hurts a ton. But we need to be clear on how the Bible describes God. He is not mean and cruel. He is all-powerful and that he does work with purpose. So then why does bad stuff happen to good people? It's a reality. I just want to get in our heads so that we're on the same page. The reality is that we live in a broken, busted world. We live in a planet that is marred by sin, and this junk happens. Sin creates bad, and that's why this bad stuff happens to us, because we live in this sin-broken world. Sometimes it's because I choose to sin. I choose to sin, and something bad happens to me. God says, don't live this way, and I live that way, and I've chosen to live that way, and God calls it sin, and then something bad happens to me, and it's a little bit kind of silly if if I go, oh, God, why did that happen to me? God says, don't live like that, and then I live like that, and then it's bad, and kind of we don't ask why, because we kind of get it, like, I chose that. I, I choose to smoke for 40 years, and then I get lung cancer, and no one's really scratching their head going, Oh gee, God, why? Well, it says on the pack. He spoke these, and he'll die. You know, you know, if 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 I if I go and decide to have affairs with a bunch of women, I get an STI, and and nobody really says, oh, why did that bad thing? We kind of get it. I chose to sin, and bad stuff happens when I choose to sin. You with me? Sometimes, because we live in a sin broken world, sometimes it's somebody else who chooses to sin, and I get burned because of it. So if somebody else chooses bad, the drunk driver chooses to drive drunk and plows through the group of skin, kindergarten kids just trying to cross the, the crosswalk. And they get hurt because of his sinful choice. We live in a broken system where sometimes bad happens because somebody else chooses and we get burned because of it. The spouse of that, that guy that decides to have these illicit affairs and contracts an STI, she gets that STI. She didn't do something to deserve that. She lives in a system where his sin, his choice to sin, hurts her. With me? Sometimes it's because I sin and I get bad. Sometimes it's because somebody else sins and I get burned. And sometimes the reality is that we live in a broken, busted world and stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. People get diseases. They didn't deserve it. They didn't choose it. They didn't choose to get that. They didn't do something sinful that they deserved that. Nobody around them did something sinful and somehow they got it. It's simply because we live in a broken, sin-infected planet. Sometimes bad stuff happens to good people because this planet is broken and marred and messed up. Are we together? That was a bummer. Are we, are we all excited now? I don't want to end on a bummer note, but, but that felt really big and bummer-like. So what do we do? What, what, do we, what do we do with all that here? Three three places. Three places I hang my hat. Three things that I've landed on. I just got to be honest. I don't know if this is helpful to anybody else but me. And so if it's not helpful to you at all and you walk out of here going, geez, I, I will apologize right now. This is incredibly helpful to me, but it may not do anything for you. It may not be in your brain. Why? Does God allow bad stuff to happen to good people? Here's three places that I hang my hat. And you're going to need a Bible because we're going to jump in just a couple of verses because I want you to experience this and see this with me. Here's, here's the first thing that helps me as I begin to try and process through this question. Number one, God did not intend it to be this way. God did not intend this planet to be broken, to be marred by sin. God did not intend for me to choose sin. God did not intend and plan That somebody else would choose sin and somehow I would get burnt in the process. That was not God's intention from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. It makes sense. We're talking about the beginning. We're talking about God's original intent. Let's just look at Genesis chapter 1. And you guys probably have these first few words memorized already. It says, in the beginning, God created everything. He goes and he creates everything and he creates trees and plants and, and armadillos and sky and molecules and, and, and planets and everything. And at the end of each day when he creates, he uses this phrase, he says, God said that it was, that was God's original intention. That it was good. It was great. It was, it was phenomenal. God created everything Good. And then we get down to uh, to, to verse uh, 27 in chapter 1. It says, And God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Four of you are with me on that. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves along the ground. And God says, I give you every uh, uh, seed bearing plant in the face of the whole earth, and the tree that has fruit and the seed in it will be yours for food. God creates everything good, and then God creates man and woman, and He gives them this command to, to fill that earth. And that, that means, I think that means make babies, but I think it also means like fill it with your presence and adventure and explore it and enjoy it and own it and rule it and do it and love it. And I don't know how many other words to put in there. Are you with me, though? It's like this great experience. God created everything, and he created man and woman. He said, like, this is yours. This is so cool. That was God's original intention from the beginning. And then in chapter uh, 2, we get this, like, it narrows down the focus to just tell us how God created man and woman, real specific. And I know some of you have read this before, but I want to bring your attention back to it again in verse 19 of chapter 2 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and the wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So God creates these animals and he brings them past Adam and He says, Adam, name them. And so Adam does. He's like, Giraffe, you know, you know or elephant or whatever he called it, however it worked. Right? And they're walking by him, and he's naming them as they go by. And I think the entire purpose of that was so that Adam would look at those and go, hey, there's really nothing like me in that. Like, those are cool, but I don't, I don't want to go out on a date with one of those. Like, that's neat, but uh, you're not, they're not like me. They're not for me. They're fun, but they're not for me. Specific, I think that's why God has them name them, because look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took a chunk out of the man. I know it says rib there, but it literally means a chunk out of the man. And then closed up that place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from that chunk of man that he had taken for man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. As she be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God, very intimate, very tangible, very hands-on way of creating man and creating woman he, he literally takes a piece of Adam he goes I know Adam I know there's nothing out there l- like you for you I've done this specifically my my best creation is yet to come I, I want you to feel it and know it and be ready for it and so he the first surgery ever Adam falls asleep and he takes his piece and he creates a woman and, and Adam wakes up and she goes he goes yes yes that's that's for me like yeah I want to go on a date with that right like he's yes god you're amazing this is so cool this was God's original intention are you with me? God never intended it to be where bad stuff happens to good people. God intended it to be like this. Now catch this. There's even more in chapter 3. Drop down to verse 8 because we know the beginning of chapter 3 is where Adam and Eve choose to sin. They choose to do the one thing they're told not to do. Don't eat from that. And they do. And, and they sin. And they go and they hide. Look at verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're not hiding in the bushes because they heard a sound and they're like afraid, like, oh, what is that? Is it a T-Rex? You know, They, they, they hide because they know that it's God. It, almost as if this was a regular occurrence every day that God came down and walked with them in the cool of the day, hand in hand, Adam and Eve, and they talked about life and they talked about reality and they talked about the creatures and they talked about the future and they talked about whatever they talked about. Like that was the regular appointed time, and Adam and Eve aren't hiding because they're scared of what's had. they're, sh- they're hiding because they know God is coming, and they've sinned and they hide. All I want to pull out of that is this was God's original intention, not for bad stuff to happen, but for it to be this. God never intended it for it to be this way. That's a helpful thing. It's one thing that I hang my hat on. What's the point in saying all that? You know, all this junk, all this bad stuff that happens to good people, all this bad stuff that happens to all kinds of people. uh, What do you do with that? It it, it is okay and right to be angry and frustrated and whatever adjective you want to put in there just ticked off. But I just say directed at the right person. It's not God's intention for it to be this way. It was very much the devil's intention it to be this way. And so when you're angry and you're frustrated because you're hurting, like when you're angry directed at the right person, Satan, his plan to mess up God's plan, I think that's the right person to be angry at. God never intended it to be this way. Here's number two. This is the most helpful one to me to be quite honest. Uh, God hurts when we hurt. God hurts when I hurt. It's interesting because in Psalm 34, the psalmist he says this in verse 18. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It's interesting because uh, I think you guys know uh, Psalms is really a book of songs and these songs were written by individual people. And this Psalm alone, Psalm 34, was written by a guy named David. Some of you guys know the David story. You remember some of these things from flannel graphs. Anybody remember flannel graphs? Just kind of curious, like five of us. Awesome. Sunday school or maybe you've watched TV, those old claymation shows. And David, the guy who fought the giant Goliath, David who was set up to be king of Israel. David was a shepherd. He was kind of a nobody. He was the youngest of seven brothers. And one day, this prophet comes along and says, Yep, that's going to be the new king of Israel. And so he's like, Cool. And he goes back out to shepherding because, you know, there's already a king of Israel named Saul. Saul's a wicked king. He's kind of a horrible guy. Saul had a lot of issues and problems going on. And so David's sort of off doing his shepherd thing, and Saul's off doing his thing. And David comes and kills the giant and goes back to shepherding. Great. And then Saul, over time, develops this. Uh, Demon oppression, mental illness—I don't know. Saul begins to just go wacky in the brain, and and so uh, some of Saul's friends go, "Hey, well, you know, um, music will probably help. I I know this really good harp player. Apparently, harp music was like the thing or something." That happened to be David, so they bring David into the court. He's playing harp music for the king, and every time he plays, like Saul chills out and he feels better, and so that's kind of cool. So now David isn't a shepherd anymore; he's a heart player for the king. And over time, the king begins to give David some of these assignments, these military assignments. He goes out. He's very successful as a military leader. Matter of fact, the nation starts singing his, this, this song about him that says David has slain his ten thousands, and while Saul has only slain his thousands. And so that makes Saul incredibly jealous and he's already dealing with all the stuff he's dealing with. And so he decides what he'll do is take a spear and stick it right into David's head. So he throws a spear at him. And David and says, well, it's probably time for me to go. That's my exit. So he runs. Now, David, at this point in life, has everything going for him seemingly. He's married to the king's daughter. That was part of the whole killing Goliath uh, treasure trove there. He's got a bunch of money. He's got reputation. He's a military leader. He's upwardly mobile. I mean, like, he's going to be the next king. And so, like, all this stuff going for him. Saul chases him out. Saul begins chasing David around the, the entire desert area that they live in trying to kill him. The king of Israel, Saul, has one thought on his mind. Like, murder this, I don't know, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, something like that. The king of Israel, his whole world is focused around killing this one kid. And David's like, I am doomed. And so David's running and Saul's chasing him. And David gets this bright idea one day that he's going to run to this town called Gath. Gath is bizarre because that's the same town that Goliath was from. A Goliath, do you remember this giant guy? He's like nine feet tall, had this huge reputation, you know, he was like got words, everybody knew him. I I picture Gath like this small little town that everybody knew everybody and kind of talked about each other. And so when David killed Goliath, that was a big deal. I and mean, he chopped off his head. That had to make the news, right? The, the Gath press or whatever it was back then. And so and so David decides he's going to go hide in Gath. That sounds dumb to me, but David thought it was a good idea. He goes to Gath to hide, and as soon as he gets into town, the, some of the officials see David, and they go and run to the king of Gath, and they say, hey, David's here. We should grab him and kill him. That will be cool. We hate this guy. The king says, bring him to me. And so David, now David had money and reputation and a family and a life and a future, and all that had been stripped away from him. The only thing he's got left, maybe it's like his, his pride or something, I don't know, it's like his sense of self, that's, that's it. So these, these officials of Gath, they grab David, they bring him to the king, David thinks he's doomed, he doesn't know he's going to get out of this, and so he decides, here's the plan, I will act like I'm insane. He starts drooling down his beard, and he starts scratching stuff every wall he gets to just acts like he's out of his mind so the officials get david into the king of gath's palace and the king of gath goes seriously do i not have enough crazy people around me already you got to bring me another one seriously get him out of here that's not david there's no way david would do that get him out of here I throw david out and david runs into a cave and hides in that cave literally has lost everything at this point why does bad stuff happen to good people David's lost everything, not only money and family and reputation and and future, but now he's lost his sense of self. There's no pride left. The guy's running around like a a crazy person. And so in the midst of that, David writes Psalm 34. Are, Are you there? Are you looking at it with me? Psalm 34, he's hiding in a cave. He has literally nothing left. And David says this, he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called to him, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And I just remind you that none of that had happened yet. David is like praying this future prayer. Like, he he knows God, and and he knows that God's going to do something, but he is not feeling any of this right now. I can't think he's feeling any of that now, right? He's hiding in the back of a cave with nothing left to him. And yet he's writing these phrases about a future that he knows, he trusts, he hopes that God will accomplish for him. And then look at verse 8. He says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. A guy who kinda of got it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever you love, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. Get ready, here it comes. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's where David is. He says, God hurts when I hurt. The Lord is close to the broken hearted. It's a guy who gets why bad stuff happens. Because God is close to the broken hearted. God is with me when I hurt. We call it sometimes the be there factor. It's not like God is somehow sitting off in heaven watching this bad stuff that happens to you being like, oh, that's sad. That's, that's sad that that happened. It's like God is with me in that. He experiences the hurt that I experience, he is the be there factor. You know, when my, when my youngest had uh, a diagnosis of Tourette's, I was, I was uh, freaking out and stressed out, and I was, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around that. And a friend of mine who's a pastor, his name is Jeff Devine. He's in California, nobody knows him, so I can use his name. But he, um, he, this is what he did. He's a pastor, I'm a pastor. He's a Bible guy, I'm a Bible guy. He's a smart guy, I'm a, well, I'm, I'm a guy. And and he, this is what he does. He comes, he puts his arm around me, and he cried with me. That's it. Be there factor. How powerful that moment was. God is that be there factor. When bad stuff happens to good people, God is with me in that hurt. Are are you guys with me? It's making some sense. Second Corinthians chapter one it says this. I think it'll pop up behind me. Paul puts it like this: "says Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles." So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. The God of all comfort, who comforts me in my troubles, who is with me when I hurt, who hurts when I hurt. So three places I hang my hat that that seem to be helpful to me in this question of, why, God, why do you let bad stuff happen to Good people. One, God never intended it to be that way. Number two, he hurts when I hurt. And then this third one is God will make it right one day. God will make it right one day. We've been preaching about this for the last eight weeks, and I don't want to re-preach this, but Revelation 21, I just want to read it for you. Revelation 21, verses, uh, starting in verse Three, this is how John describes this this concept. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there'll be no more death or no more mourning, no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. God never intended it to be this way. He intended it to be good. God hurts when I hurt. And one day, God will make it right. Between those two bookends, God never intended it to be this way. One day, God will make it right. There is a period, which to me seems very, very long. I say, God, why are you waiting? It's interesting because the, the saints in Revelation 6 were asking the same question. They're like, God, why are you waiting? When will you come and finish this? We're ready, we're ready. And to me, it seems like a long time. But to the God of all eternity, it's just a moment for him to be patient and to wait for those who are going to come to him and know him. To me, that seems like such a long time. To him, it is but a moment. Where he says, Not yet, but it's coming. Guys, it's coming. It's not yet, but it's coming. It's not yet. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? I don't think God ever intended it for it to be this way. I think God hurts when I hurt. He cries with me when I cry. And one day, He will make it all right. Where you land on this question. Where you land on this question is a big deal. Where you hang your hat on this issue is a big deal because, because it shapes how you know God. The, the reality is that you could live in the idea that he's capable but unwilling to stop these things or that he's willing but incapable, but you're out of line with what the Bible teaches if that's where you land. And, and quite honestly, any relationship you say you have with God is going to be marred and not all it's intended to be. And live there, it's just not a right place to live. Certainly God does work things together for His purpose, which has His glory and the best interest of us at heart, but I'm not sure quite honestly that that's what this person needs to hear right now who wrote this card. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm just not convinced that As a matter of fact the way they finish this question at the very bottom in little print, it says the whole free will explanation, the idea that people choose or, or that you know God has a purpose, that falls short. That's what they say. And I might be inclined to agree with them at times. Certainly there is a purpose. Certainly God can use it for purpose. But is that what they need to hear right now? Where you hang your hat on this is vitally important. So here's what I'm going to ask of us. As we just finish up this morning, the band's going to come out. We're going to have one last song, kind of as a prayer response. But but here's what I'm going to ask from you guys. On those sermon note pages on the back, there's a little section that says, My Prayer. So as the band begins, they're going to begin to sing. I'm going to ask you just to stay sitting. And that in the, in the next 10 seconds, 30 seconds, minute, minute and a half, two minutes, however long it takes you, that you would jot down just a couple of, of words or a couple of phrases a, as a prayer to God. Maybe you need to uh, um, say something like, uh, Hey God, help me get out of my current thinking. I'm struggling with the fact that I think you're mean and cruel because these things happen. Maybe you just be honest about that with him. Maybe you need him to help you reconcile some of the hurts from your past with his goodness. Uh, Maybe you just need to honestly air your frustrations with him. You know, our God is huge. He can handle that. You just need to be honest on the back of that little sheet there and just air some of your frustrations. Maybe you just want to honestly thank him. You've already arrived at this place. You already understood that that God is with you and he hurts when you hurt. And you get these things and, and you just want to thank him for always being there with you. Maybe you're just excited and, and glad that he has always been part of that and you just want to write that down. And then, and then when you're done writing, you feel free to stand at any point. Finish singing that song with the band. It's going to be different for everybody, so we'll be standing up in pockets. That's completely wonderful. And then as you sing and as that song begins to finish out, there's going to be some people down in the front. I'll be down here. There'll be some other uh, pastors or some ministry team leaders or some elders. And if you just want to pray with someone, Maybe you just want to have someone pray for you or with you Just share some of the stuff that's going on. Maybe you just want to come down and, and honestly, you just want to tell me that you think I'm full of it. Like you just want to be honest with me about that and, and explain to me the pain that you have that, that I don't get. And you just, I would be kind of a privilege to hear that. You just have someone pray with you or if you just want to speak a word into one of our ears, we would, we would love that. We'll be down here through the end of the last song and, and then for a few minutes afterwards, we're not in a hurry to go anywhere. So if you'd want to come down and just take that time to pray with one of us, have us pray for you, share what you're thinking, that would be awesome. So as you pull that out and begin to write that prayer, we'll finish up with this last song.